Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and we've been uh, studying on the Lord's Prayer for the last uh, several weeks, and we'll continue that tonight. And we've uh, just been taking these one at a time as a refresher, because uh, we did this several years ago when we taught through the Gospel of Luke, but that was about 2015, uh, so six, seven years ago. So uh, it's very important for us to pray and to know how it is that we ought to pray. And this is the prayer given by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to teach us this very thing. So that's why we're uh, taking these uh, slowly. And each, each uh, statement is filled with a lot of meaning. So there's a lot of content, uh, though they are very short, concise statements. Each one is communicating a lot of truth. So that's why we're uh, trying to unfold uh, it in a little bit more detail uh, because uh, we need to pray and, it, and we need to know how to pray so that we're praying consistently with the will of God. Okay, so let's read Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 9. It says, Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, our time to be together tonight. And Lord, we do pray for those who are uh, absent from our fellowship tonight, Lord, uh, the, the Manels and the Stones as they are traveling, uh, also the Wilsons, Lord, as they are uh, sick, and then as well, Lord, we pray for Christian tonight as he's stuck at work. Uh, Lord, we pray for you to be with them, Lord, to bless them, and Lord, we pray that uh, you would uh, watch over, protect them, and bring them back <coughs> to us safely, uh, Lord, here in the upcoming days. Father, we pray that you would be with us tonight as we open your word, Lord, that you would give to us insight, Lord, give us wisdom and understanding that we might know uh, your will and know those things that are pleasing to you. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, you have called us, Lord, even commanded us to come to you, Lord, and to present our requests to you. Lord, there are so many things that we are needful of. Lord, everything uh, we need from you. You are the giver of every good gift. Lord, it all originates and it comes from you. And so, Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, asking you, uh, Lord, to give to us what we lack. Lord, to fill us with all knowledge and wisdom. Lord, to fill us with grace. Lord, to give to us greater faith. Uh, Lord, to cause us to walk in your ways. So, Lord, give us what we need that we might be faithful to you. Lord, that we might uh, walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Lord, provide for us, uh, Lord, those things that we need for this life. And Lord, we pray that you provide those things that we need for the life to come. And that, Lord, you would fill us with all goodness. And it is in the name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are here in uh, the Lord's Prayer on the third petition. The third petition. There's five petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we've dealt with the first two. The first one being, hallowed be your name this desire for God's name to be sanctified or God's name to be glorified uh, in this present world, in our life, in our churches, in our family, uh, everywhere that we go, we should have this desire for God's name to be hallowed or for his name to be glorified. 
Then last week, we looked at the second petition, which is that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That there should be a great desire in us to see the kingdom of God expanded, right? To see it spread throughout this world, both through the conversion of sinners, through the preaching of the gospel, and then also within the church, within our own life, right? That God's kingdom would manifest itself in greater and greater ways within our own lives through our obedience, through our faithfulness, and that God would protect us. Right? We are part of his kingdom, and we need to pray for God's protection over us, that he would protect us from both those unseen enemies, like the devil and his demons, and then also those seen enemies, uh, like the wicked, both those outside the church and those who come inside the church. So we need God to protect us, and we want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is done perfectly in heaven. Uh, we should desire for it to be done perfectly on earth, starting in our own lives, then in our families, in our church, and then even in this present world. And ultimately, that Christ would return one day, and when Christ returns, establish his perfect kingdom, right? A kingdom of righteousness, right? This is what we are looking for, a new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness dwells. So these first two petitions uh, are dealing with things related to God, his glory, his kingdom, his will, right? And we're reminded in that that our prayers in our life should ultimately first be centered around God, right? God should be the center of everything that we do, right? His glory should be at the forefront of our mind in what we desire and what we want to see in this present life. Right, so God's glory and his will must be primary, right? Must be primary in our prayers, right? In our thoughts, in our desires, in what we're seeking in this present life. That means then when we turn to this third petition, which is dealing with our needs, right? Three, four, and five are dealing with us, right? The things that we need from God, both in relation to our physical life and then in relation to our spiritual life. But whenever we're praying for those things that we need, it must always be conditioned on the first two petitions, which relate to the glory of God in his kingdom, right? So we want God to provide for us, give us what we need, insofar as what we need promotes the glory of God and promotes the kingdom of God, right? Whatever God deems best to promote his glory in our life, this is what we should desire, whether that be riches or poverty. Right? Whether that be a full belly or an empty stomach, right? Whether that be comfort and ease or hardship and suffering, right? And God can fetch his glory in one or the other. And in our life, many times, it will be a mixture of the two. There'll be times of comfort and ease, and then there'll be times of hardships and sorrows and sufferings, and God gets his glory and expands his kingdom in both. And that's what we should desire in all things. So everything must be conditioned on the will of God, right? On the will of God. This is even as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ prayed, right? Not my will be done, but yours, right? When he was in the garden and he was asking for God to remove this cup, if possible, but he always conditioned it on not my will, but yours, right? Your will be done. And this is the way that we should pray, especially when we're dealing with things in terms of our physical life and our body, right? Yes, there's nothing wrong with us praying for God to heal us, for God to heal another, for God to bless us, for God to help us in this situation and that situation, but it must always be conditioned on the will of God because it is God's will at times to afflict us, right? To cause us to suffer, to give us hardship. 
ultimately one day it will be God's will to take our life. And so there is a sickness that we may experience that is the sickness of death, the sickness by which God has determined that we will die. And there's nothing wrong if we're unsure of that for us to pray for God to heal us, but ultimately it has to be conditioned on what? The will of God. Your will, God, be done in my life. And when we pray in that way, it's not a lack of faith. There are those who would say that that shows a lack of faith. We should just claim it. Claim that God would heal us, but we can't do that unless we have certainty that this is the will of God. And in some of these things, we don't have certainty. So we have to condition it on the will of God, right? On the will of God. In some things, we know that this is God's will for our life, right? That we would live godly lives, that we would walk in righteousness, that we wouldn't commit sin. We know that God doesn't want us to commit sin. So we should pray, God, give me the strength, right? So that I don't commit sin, right? If it's your will. Well, I know it's God's will that I don't commit sin. So we should just pray forthrightly in that way, but on some things we should pray conditional on the will of God. So let's turn then back to uh, verse 11. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. So here we see that there is a place for us to pray for daily bread. And by daily bread here, he means those, that bread that we need that is essential for our bodies, right? For our physical lives. In order for us to live every day, we have to have our daily bread, right? Our daily bread. This is the basic substance of life, sustenance that we need, right? Typically in most parts of the world, especially at this time, this was the basic staple of life of their diet was bread, right? Bread and water, right? Those types of things. And this is asking for God to provide the basic sustenance that we need in order to preserve our physical life. Don't we have to have bread to live, right? If we don't have food, then eventually, yeah, we may be able to go a day or a, week, a couple of weeks without food. Eventually, we're going to expire, right? We're going to die. There are things that we need for our physical life, and we are called by Christ, commanded by him, to come to God daily and to ask him to provide for us, to give us those things that we need for our bodies, right? Not just those things that we need for our spiritual life, but also those things that we need for our physical life as well. Because our physical life, it is a gift from God. It is a blessing from God, right? Our body is a blessing from God. Even though our body in its current state is corruptible, even though it is a fallen nature that we now possess and our body has fallen into this state of decay, still yet it is a blessing from God to have life. For him to give us life and for him to sustain our life, this is a gift from him and it's something that we should cherish and we should love and we should do whatever is necessary to care for our bodies to sustain our bodies, and we should not treat our body in a contemptible way because the body was created by God, and God said that it was very good in the way that he created it. And though, it, again, it is fallen, there still remains much good in the body as God has created it. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Let's establish that the body... And we have to say this because there are those traditions and philosophies that have been 
uh, in the church since the very beginning. Right? This goes back to the early days, even before the time of Christ, the Jewish mystics, uh, Gnostics, these types of people who taught that the body, the physical, was evil, and then only the spiritual was good. So the spiritual is good, and the body, that which is physical, is always evil. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that the physical world and the physical life is evil, and all that matters is the spiritual. Yes, the spiritual is primary. The spiritual is more important. But that doesn't mean the physical is not a gift from God and that it's not good from God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then also, chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And then also, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And then all of that with chapter 1, verse 31. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So when God created Adam and Eve, did he create them as invisible spirits with no body? No, he created them with both a physical aspect, a physical component, and a spiritual component. They had a body, a physical body, and they had a soul, a spiritual component. And when God created man in that way, God declared it was very good. It was very good. Now, again, then sin entered into the world. But in terms of the body, in terms of the physical life, God says that it was good at the very beginning. And while there is sin and corruption now, there still remains the goodness of God in the physical life that he bestows upon people. And God created us with both a body and a soul. The body was created by God. So our physical life is a blessing from him. And God expects us to love and to cherish our physical life, right? That this is natural law, even natural law, even unbelievers know, most unbelievers, there are some who sin in a very grave way when they sin against their own body or when they sin against their own life through self-murder. But isn't it true that most people know instinctively to care for their own body? And most people do that. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. It says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. So typically, a person doesn't hate his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. This is what is typical 
right, in, in people, right? This is the way that they behave. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself, right? The standard for loving your neighbor is you love them as you love yourself, right? Well, if you're to love them as yourself, then isn't there a place for us to love ourselves in the proper way, understood properly, right? Not in a self-love, in an exorbitant way, not at the expense of other people, not selfishly focused only, but there is a place for a person to care for their own body, right? To give themselves those things that are needful for their own physical life. So in this way then, when we're told to pray for our daily bread, Jesus is teaching us to pray for those things that are needful for the body. And when we are thinking correctly, concerning the Lord's Prayer, it will guard us from two extremes, right? Two extremes. One, there are those who are only concerned with the physical life, right? This is common in the world. This is what is true of most unbelievers. All they care about is the physical, and they give no thought to anything that is spiritual, right? They only care for physical present life. And there are many people who never offer a prayer to God unless they're facing some physical calamity. If there's some disease, some sickness, some hardship that's going to impact their physical life, then they will offer prayers to God, but they don't really have any concern about spiritual things. Well, we shouldn't be like that, right? What should be first and foremost on our mind is spiritual things, and then the physical must be subordinate to the spiritual, right? To the spiritual. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. says, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone, right? Not that man doesn't live on bread. Yes, he needs bread, but there's more to life than just this present body, right? There's the spiritual as well. So don't just be focused on the physical, don't just pray for your physical needs and neglect the spiritual. And again, typically, this is the problem with most people. All they care about is the physical. If they have a full belly right, and a big bank account and lots of ease and pleasure, then they're fat and sassy. right? They have no cares, no worries in this present life. Everything is good and fine, even while they remain unreconciled to God. Right. Well, isn't there a greater problem than not having a full belly? Isn't there a greater problem than not having a big bank account? Yes, there's the wrath of God that's coming upon this present world. And though they don't have any cares or worries, they should have great cares and worries because the wrath of God is coming for them. This was the problem in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 26. This is the rebuke that Jesus gives to the people because they're seeking him, not for spiritual life, but they're seeking him just so that they can get some more food, right? A full belly. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father, God, has set 
is healed. So there, the people are coming to Christ, which we would say, oh, that's good. They want to come hear Christ. But why are they coming? They're coming for food, for their bellies. Right? That's why they're seeking him. Not because they want salvation, not for the forgiveness of sins, not to be taught the word of Christ, not so that they can be reconciled to God. That's not on their mind. All they're thinking is, he gave us free food yesterday. If we come back today, he might give us more free food. right? And that's what they, this is, sadly, this is what most churches use to get the, this is, this is church growth 101. Jesus rejects it, but this is the way people are. Right? They won't come for the Bible, but if you offer them food, well, of course they're going to show up. Everyone likes food, especially with pizza, right? Youth, they love pizza and cookies. <laughs> They'll come for that all day long. They love it. And Jesus says, no, he gave them food once, right? not to draw them in. Now, that's an important distinction to make. When he fed them the first time in John 6, he didn't feed them in order to draw the crowd. He fed them because they were already there and he didn't want them fainting on the way home because it was late in the day and no one had anything to eat and as a sign to testify to them who he was and that they ought to believe his word. But then when they came back for more food, he didn't give them any, right? That was it. He did it one time and that was it. And then he told them to go away and he wasn't going to feed them anymore. So this is, typ this is typical, right, of people. They're preoccupied, fascinated, they're consumed with this present life. That's all they care about. Well, the Lord's Prayer teaches us that life is more than food and the body is more than clothing, right? That there are things that should be on our mind other than just our physical life. The hallowing of God's name, the coming of God's kingdom, right? That God would forgive us of our sins, that he would deliver us from evil, right? Th those are all spiritual things. And those things should be on our mind. We ought to be praying for those things, not to the exclusion of our physical life, but those things as well. So it keeps us in from being overly consumed with this present life. Also, it keeps us from having pseudo-spirituality, right? Pseudo-spirituality, which is this idea that the body is evil, and that if we're praying for things that we need for this physical life, then that shows that we're unspiritual, that all we care about is this present world. We're not heavenly-minded. We're not spiritually focused. Well, is it possible to pray both for the things you need for this life and to be spiritually minded? Are those two things mutually exclusive? No. You can, they put things against each other that the Bible doesn't put against each other. Does Jesus put praying for daily bread, is it against praying for our sins to be forgiven? No, they're right hand in hand. So you can do both of these in the right way, understood correctly. So we shouldn't think that the body is evil, that the needs of the body, the desires of the body are necessarily evil. Yes, if they are out of control, if there's no self-control, right? If they're not ordered according to the will of God, then yes, they can lead to evil, but not necessarily if they are ordered rightly, right? If they are kept in check and severe treatment of the body, denying the body what is needful for its good is not a mark of piety or holiness, right? But rather it has the appearance of piety. And this is what people have done for many years, right? These pseudo-spiritual people who deny themselves this and that. They treat the body with extremity, right? They go and they sit in the cold. They run through thorns, right? They beat themselves, right? They're, they are people 
traditions that teach this, that encourage the adherents to treat their body with severity because the body and its impulses, its desires are all evil and we have to beat those back. Well, yes, they can be evil, but not when they're ordered rightly, right? Not when they're ordered rightly. Colossians chapter 2. Again, these concepts, these philosophies, false teachings, go all, I mean, they, they've been around for millennia. So they will continue to be around, and we have to understand that. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So there are those that say, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, right? Deny yourself all of these things, right? That will prove your holiness. It proves that you're spiritually minded, that you're not focused on this world, right? Self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, right? Beat your body, take a, a whip and beat yourself, right? And show that you are focused on spiritual things. But do these types of things overcome the flesh? No. No, they don't. They're no value against fleshly indulgence. And those who do those things will then give themselves to other sins, right? In very gross, sinful ways. So we shouldn't do either of these things. Praying for God to provide for our daily needs does not mean that we're worldly-minded. Because... We're not merely praying for our worldly physical needs. We're praying for other things as well, but this is a part of our prayers to God. The Lord's Prayer keeps us from being only focused on this world, but it also keeps us from denying those things that are needful for our bodies. It teaches us to pray both for our physical life, the body, and for our spiritual life, which is the soul. And we need to do both. And even this petition is teaching us both. Because do we not need daily bread both for our bodies and our souls? We need both, right? So daily bread doesn't merely mean just physical bread. It means both, physical and spiritual. It's using the lesser to draw our minds higher to the greater, right? You go from the lower to the higher, the physical to the spiritual, the bread that we need for our body to the bread that we need for our souls, which is the word of Christ. And we need both of them every day, right? Don't we eat three meals a day, typically, or four or five? If you got boys like I do, it's maybe six or seven. Who knows? They never stop. It may just be one long, continuous meal all day long, right? That's the way that they are. Well, that's how we need to be spiritually as well, right? Feeding on the word of Christ, which is the bread of heaven. So then what are things that we can learn from this third petition, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, notice first, he says, give us, right? Give us this day our daily bread. He's asking, where he's telling us to pray to God for God to give us something, something that we need from God, which is teaching us our dependence. We depend on God 
for the most basic necessities of life. We cannot feed ourselves one morsel of bread unless God gives that bread to us. So everything that we have must be given to us from God. So in teaching us to pray in this way, give us, it is automatically at the beginning showing us that we have to rely on God and we have to understand that whatever we experience in this life, whatever good thing that we have, even if it's something that we have commonly, right? Something that is regular and bread, food. This is something that we have every single day. Water, we drink water every single day. We breathe, right? Many times a day, right? Don't we have to do all these things every day in order for us to have life? And we have to do it from our infancy all the way to the end of our life. And many times when there are things that are so common, we forget that these are blessings. These are gifts that come to us from God. So he's teaching us here to remember when we're asking God to give us these things that our daily bread does not come through our strength. Yes, God does use human agency to provide our daily bread in that commonly the way that God provides our daily bread is we go to work. We go to work we, or we go out into the field, the garden, wherever it is that we're getting our food. But commonly in our day, people go to work, they get their paycheck, then they go to the grocery store and they exchange some of their paycheck for food that they then take home and they eat and consume it. Well, even though in all of these things, there's human agency involved, God expects and requires us to work for our daily bread, but that doesn't mean that we are acquiring these things apart from God. Ultimately, the source of everything is God, even if God chooses to use secondary means in order to bring that about. Now, God can feed us supernaturally, right? He did this with the prophets. He did it with Elijah when he fed him there with the birds that brought him uh, bread. God can do that if he pleases. He fed the wilderness generation under the leadership of Moses with bread from heaven. But this is not, but even that, they had to go out and pick it up, right? They, they, it didn't just fall into their mouth. They still had to go out and do a little bit of work for it. But typically God feeds us through human effort, right? He expects us, he commands us to do something. We have to go out and do it, but that doesn't mean that we're doing it apart from God. Everything we do, we do in and through God and our life is not self-sufficient. We are not self-sufficient, but we are utterly dependent upon God, even for the most basic elements of life, even daily bread, the basic sustenance that comes to human life. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 24. It says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life, breath, and all things. So God, he doesn't need anything from us. He's not served by human hands as though he needs anything. But who is in need? We are. He's the one 
that gives to all mankind, to all people, life, breath, all things. Everything we have comes to us from God, whether people recognize it or not. Right. It all comes from the Lord. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James 1, verse 17. It says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So every good thing, every perfect gift comes from God. Well, is daily bread a good thing? Yes. Is our breath a good thing? Yes. Water, is it good? Yes coffee that I just drank. It was very good. Well, where did it all come from? It all comes from God. Every good gift, it comes down from God. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here in the Lord's Prayer. Now, if we cannot provide bread for ourselves apart from God, if God has to give us this thing, then what can we provide on our own? Right? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Right? There's nothing that we can provide for ourselves. So this should create humility, humility, reliance, dependence on God. Because isn't it a common sin within mankind? Self-sufficiency. People think they don't need God. They can do everything without God, apart from God. Why should we serve him? What benefit, what advantage do we get from serving the Almighty? What is the value? We don't need him. He needs us, right? We don't need him. This is what people believe. They don't need God. God needs us, but we don't need him. And here, the Lord's Prayer is teaching us the exact opposite. No, we need God. We need God for everything, for him to give us our daily bread. Job chapter 21. Job 21. And verse 7, Job 21, verse 7. It says, Why do the wicked still live, continue on, and also become very powerful? Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and the rod of God is not on them. His ox mates without fail, his cow calves and does not abort. They send forth their little ones like the flock, and their children skip about. They sing to the timbrel and the harp, and rejoice at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity, and suddenly they go down to Sheol. They say to God, Depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what would we gain if we entreat him? Behold, their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. So there, they even say to God, right, depart from us. We have no desire of the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty? Right? This is like uh, Pharaoh said. Yeah. Who is the Lord? Right? Who is the Lord that I should listen to him, that I should serve him, that I should obey him? I'm not going to do that. Well, did he find out who the Lord was? Yeah. He did. He found out the hard way. And so will they. But they say, why would we serve the Almighty? And what do we gain if we entreat him? Why would we pray to God? 
Because what advantage? What are we going to get from it? Well, what does Jesus tell us? Daily bread. Everything, every good thing comes from God. Right? They don't recognize this. In their experience, they don't see it. But one day they will. One day they will find out that every breath, every meal, right, every good thing that they enjoyed in life was a gift given to them by God, and they never even so much as said thank you to him. And then God will hold them accountable for their ingratitude, their ungratefulness, and their pride and arrogance in scoffing at his kindness, in receiving so many benefits from God. This is what the wicked do. They receive all of this from God, and then they spit in his face, right? Their benefactor, the one who gives them life, breath, and all things, they spit in his face, give what he ought to get, they give to idols of their own creation and of their own making, and then people wonder why God is angry with the wicked every day, right? Why God, what's the big deal? Why is God gonna throw all these people in hell? This is what's happening to God. Oh, think about all the people on the earth who have no care or concern about worshiping God, thanking God, glorifying God, they feast on the bounty of God every single day, and then they spit in his face, and then wonder why God is upset. What should surprise us is that God doesn't destroy the world right now, instantaneously, because of all the ingratitude and how his kindness. Would we put up with this? If someone did this to us, we wouldn't put up with it, and yet God, he puts up with it day after day. But... Though he is patient and though he waits, his wrath ultimately is quickly kindled. And when it is, it is ferocious in its ferocity. And what it does to people, it will come swiftly upon them. And then they will learn that there is a God, that there is the Almighty. So it is very foolish for us to believe that we don't gain anything by entreating God and that we don't need God. Even the most basic elements of life we need to receive from God. Our food, our water, our rest, right? Our clothing, our shelter, whatever it is, we need God to provide all of it. And we are beggars living on his goodness. Now, again, ultimately, this should teach us to learn from the lesser to the greater. Just as we need daily bread for our bodies, so we ultimately need the daily bread for our souls. Right? We need the bread that comes down out of heaven that God the Father must give to us that will be for the salvation of our souls. And what is or who is the bread that we need for salvation? Well, back to John chapter 6. John 6, 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So that's the bread we need, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. That's why every day when we eat our daily bread, we should be reminded 
of our need for our spiritual bread, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why God created us in this way. That's why he's teaching us to pray in this way. He is teaching us to pray for this because we do need food, and it's good for us to pray for that. But ultimately, it's to remind us, to spur us on to a greater desire and a greater need, which is the spiritual life that we need, the spiritual bread, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we would seek these things from him as well, not merely the physical, but also the spiritual. Also, doesn't this teach us how frail we are? Right? Daily bread. Daily bread. Think about all the things that we need for our physical life. If we go a couple of weeks without food, we will die. And we'll die a miserable death, too. That'd be a miserable way to die. If we go a couple of days without water, we will die. If we go a couple of minutes without breath, we will die. If we don't have clothing for our bodies and we're exposed to the extremities of weather, we will die. If we don't have proper shelter to live in, we will die. Right? There are many things that our physical life is contingent upon, that we depend upon, that we have to have, and if we don't, that we will die. Even animals, right? Most animals have more strength in terms of their physical life than we do. They don't need clothing. They don't need shelter. They live out in the elements, right? They sleep out in the cold, in the sub-degree weather, and they're able to, to manage just fine. But if we were out there, what would happen to us? We would perish, right? We would die a very miserable death. Every morning when we wake up, doesn't our body tell us we need food? Right? Our, we have those uh, you know, morning hunger pains. You, know, you got you to gotta get something to eat. If you go a few hours right, without eating, your body starts telling you you need something. You go a few hours without drinking something, right? especially if you're outside working. Your mouth, you get the cotton mouth. Right? You got to have something to drink. What about sleep? What if we don't sleep? Doesn't every day our body tell us that we have to sleep, we have to rest, because we're so frail and weak we can't even go 24 hours hardly without sleep because our body has to recover, recuperate in this way. And then what about the way our life progresses? Actually, it degresses, right? We progress in some ways. We should progress in godliness. We should progress in wisdom. But in terms of physical strength, we hit our peak early in our life. And then after that, we're kind of on the way down for many years. I'm on a plateau right now. I'm about to fall off the edge. That's what I tell my kids. Tanner, you're on the way down, buddy. It's coming soon, right? So all of us, this is what is common, right? Why is all of this happening? Why did God create us in this way, right? Isn't he teaching us things every single day in the way our body is, the way our life is, how frail we are, how weak we are, that we need him, right? Even if we just took... Uh, the 24-hour test. Go 24 hours without food, without water, and without sleep. Okay, don't really do this. But if you did, you would be a combobulated mess, right? We would be complete. We'd be out of our mind. We'd be grumpy, grouchy, right? We wouldn't know where we were at if we went just 24 hours, just one day, with no food, no water, and no sleep, right? This is how frail we are. Now, compare our life to the life of God. Does God need food? Does he need drink? Does he need sleep? Does he need clothing? Does he need shelter? 
Is his life dependent on all of these things? Is he in danger from enemies, right? From uh, things that are a threat to his life. Is he in danger from diseases, right? Things that could cause him to get sick. We are, we're in danger of all of these things, right? Every day we're exposed to many dangers, but God is exposed to nothing, right? None of these things are even threatened, even come close to threatening the life of God because God's life is the only life that is self-sufficient. Everyone else is dependent. Our life is contingent upon God. God's life is contingent on no one, no thing. He needs nothing for his life, but it is in himself. He has life in himself. He is the giver of life to all people, but he himself receives life from no one, from nothing, not from creation, because he existed before the world was created. So how can God's life be contingent on anything in this created world if he existed before the world was created? So God's life is bound up in himself, and he needs no one or nothing for it. He and he alone is self-sufficient and depends on nothing outside of himself for his life. This is not true of us. We depend on many things outside of ourselves for life. Primarily God, but then even many other secondary causes that we have to have in order for our life to be sustained. So we should learn from this as well. We're praying to God for him to give us our daily bread. He's not praying to us for us to give him his daily bread. It's a one-way street. We pray to God. He doesn't pray to us. We need him. He doesn't need us, right? Isn't that an obvious conclusion from, from just prayer itself? Because God never prays to us. Right. We pray to him. He doesn't pray to us. We need him. He does not need anyone or anything. He tells us this many times in the Bible, but we'll look at a couple. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And this is really at the heart of all false religion. is doing things to get the gods, if it's a false religion, or if it's a false form of Christianity, to get God or Christ into your debt. You do things for God, and then he does things for you, right? It's, it's the good old boy system, buddy, buddy. I'll serve you, God, and then you bless me. You give me everything my heart desires. But is that the way it should be when we worship and serve God? No. We're not doing things to manipulate God, doing things that he can't do for himself, right? We're simply recognizing what is true of God already, right? And it's for our good and for our benefit to serve him and to worship him. But we're not doing something for God that he can't do for himself, right? Or that he doesn't have myriads of angels to do for him. We're doing it because God expects it and requires it, and it's for our good. Isaiah 40, 25. To whom then will you lie on me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these stars. The one who leads them forth, their host by number. He calls them all by name, because of the greatness of his might, and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, in assent, in assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So there, God does not get weary. Right? He doesn't at all. He's the creator. He doesn't become tired. He does not become weary. He exerts no energy because he has all power in himself. He's not like us in this way. He doesn't grow sleepy, tired, weary. Psalm 50. Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verse 7. It says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall not take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Right? If I were hungry, not that God gets hungry, but here hypothetically, if I were hungry, I wouldn't even have to tell you because I would just get my own food if I needed food. Not that I need food, but if I did, I wouldn't tell you because I would just get it. It's all mine anyway. Do you think that I actually eat the flesh of animals? That I actually drink, need the blood of goats to sustain my life? Do you think I'm requiring these things of you because I need you to do something for me? That's what God is saying to them because that's what's in their mind when they're bringing their sacrifices to God. They're doing something for God. He says, no, that's not the case at all. But rather, when you do these things, you have to do it with the right attitude, right. with thanksgiving, right? With thanksgiving, recognizing that God is the one who gives to us all good things, right? So he doesn't need anything. Also, 121, Psalm 121. One, two, one says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. So there, no need to worry that God is going to have to take a, a midday siesta, right? He gets so tired, he has to go rest for a little bit. And then when he's resting, our plight, our circumstances 
he won't be able to see them because he's taking a nap, right? He's sleeping, he's slumbering, and then we're going to be hidden from his sight because his eyes are closed. No, that doesn't happen at all because he never sleeps or slumbers. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to rest. He has everything in himself, so he is completely self-sufficient. He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. So we need him. He does not need us. So that's something we should learn from the Lord's Prayer. From give us this day our daily bread. We need God. God does not need us. Another thing we should learn, we are indebted to him. He is not indebted to us. God owes us nothing, right? If these are gifts, give us this day our daily bread. If daily bread is a gift from God, is it a right that we have? Can we demand it from God? No. We can ask of it from God. We can pray for him to give it to us. But if he doesn't, has he done us any wrong? No, because we don't have a right to it. It's God's. He can do whatever he pleases. It's a gift. It is not a right. And God can disperse his gifts as he sees fit. So if he wants to give one man one thing and another man another, if he wants to give one man a full belly and the other one an empty belly, if he gives one man riches and another poverty, one man bread and another man a steak, God can do whatever he wants. Because God is the one who disperses his gifts according to his will, right? According to his will and whatever he wants. Job 1.21. This is what Job understood. Job knew that he entered the world naked. He would leave the world naked. And then everything in between, above nakedness, was a gift and blessing from God that God could give or take away as he saw fit. That's the point he's making. Job 1, 21. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job understood that when God gave him all of his possessions and wealth, it was a gift. It was a blessing from God. And then when God took all of that away, God did not wrong Job in any way. Because it was God's to give and take as he saw fit. Job entered with nothing, he leaves with nothing, and then everything we have in between, we are stewards that are borrowing it from God. And if God calls it from us and takes it from us, he can do whatever he wants. And no one can say, this isn't fair, this isn't right, but why did you give him more than me? Why did he get better food than I got? Why did he get riches and I got poverty? Well, because God does whatever he wants, right? And who are we to gripe and complain against God and against his will and against his way? Third, from this, we ought to learn to be grateful. Be grateful and not grumblers and complainers, right? If we're praying in this way, give us this day our daily bread, and God gives us daily bread, then we should be very grateful for that very grateful, and not constantly grumbling and complaining because someone else has more than we do or because God deprived us uh, today, right? Isn't it typical for probably all of us in here that none of us have probably gone a day without daily bread unless it was intentional? Maybe we were fasting and praying. But have any of us ever gone a day or two 
out of necessity without food to eat? That's not typical for us, is it? Isn't it common in our experience that every day we eat? And most of us, we're eating pretty good, right? We're, we're eating pretty good. We have access to a lot of food and good food when that's a blessing, right? That's a good thing. So we should, of all people, be very grateful because of what God has given to us. And we should not grumble and complain about our circumstances as we are wont to do. First Thessalonians, this is contrary to the proper attitude. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, he says, give thanks. Right? We should give thanks to God for all of his good blessings. And isn't this one of the first things we teach our children, even when they're little? When they can first begin to talk, when we sit down to eat, that we should pray and thank God for our food. It's a very simple thing. Right? And we might think, well, this is insignificant. No, it's very significant yeah. for us to teach our children to thank God for these very basic, simple things that we enjoy every day. And one of the marks of the wicked and the ungodly, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They don't thank God for anything, including their daily bread. The breath they have, the life they have, the goodness they have. Don't even the wicked and unbelieving enjoy many blessings from God in this life? Many good things from God? They eat, right? They drink water. They have uh, good, good things that they enjoy. They have children. They have family. They have jobs. They have a house. Right? They enjoy many things in this life. Yet they never give thanks to God. In gratitude, right? In gratitude, it's the wrong attitude, right? We shouldn't have it. Uh, no Christian should have that. Also, when we are praying for daily bread, doesn't it remind us to be content? If we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. He doesn't say, give us today enough bread to last us the rest of the year. Give us a million dollars today and then I'll be satisfied, God. He's not telling us to pray for that, but he's telling us to pray for what we need for the day, right? Give us our daily bread. Now, God may, we may have enough food in our pantry to last us many days, right? And that's good and fine. But if God gives us food today, but we don't know what we're going to eat tomorrow, we should still be grateful Amen. and we should be content with what God gives us, right? This is the way the key to contentment is not, most people think, if I just had more, then I would be content, right? If I had more money, if I had a bigger house, right? If I had more things, you know, if I get to this level, then I'll be satisfied and I'll be content if I can get to this level. But the key to being content is not raising our level, but it's dropping our level down to the expectation of the Bible, which is basic necessities, food and clothing. If I have food and clothing, I'm gonna be content and then anything above that, I'm going to see as a blessing from God. These are blessings. And then anything above that, I don't even deserve any of this stuff. And so that is the way that we will be content. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. 
1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and so we cannot take anything out of it either. Right? Who does that sound like? Isn't that the same as Job? Job 1, 21? So Job 1, 21, Old Testament, 1 Timothy 6, verse 7, are both teaching identical truths, right? Same truths repeated in many times in many ways. But if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So there he says, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. That's what we need. So be content. This is teaching us to live a simple, quiet, contented life, right? To not desire riches, fame, and fortune, all of those things that people want. Didn't the proverb teach us, Proverbs 38, give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want either one, he says. I don't want poverty because I don't want to steal. And then I don't want riches because isn't it true that many rich people forget God, and then they blaspheme God. He says, I don't want either one, but give me my daily bread. Give me what I need every day. And then lastly, ultimately, praying for our daily bread is a reminder for us to labor for the bread of heaven. Do not merely labor for the bread of earth, but labor for the bread of heaven. That's the bread that we need. And there are many people who are like the wilderness generation. They wanted the bread for their body, but they had no concern for their soul. How can we care for the body and neglect the soul, seeing that the soul is the greater part? We shouldn't neglect either one. We shouldn't neglect our body, but we also should not neglect our soul. And in praying for our daily bread, we're taught to pray for both, to pray for all the good things that we need for all of our life. And our life is both body and soul. So give us the bread we need for our body, but give us the bread we need for our soul, which is faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we should be praying for as we pray for God to give us this day our daily bread. Okay, well, we'll go ahead and stop there for tonight. And we got a few minutes for any questions.